This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello, and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Ashley Robertson, an expert question asker. She also facilitates workshops on comprehensive, affirming, and medically accurate sexuality education. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to dive into these letters with you. I'm so excited as well, and and I hope that they will all be, you know, as medically accurate as possible. I'll I'll do my part. <laughs> and I will do my best. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I I'll, I'll I'll try to make sure I don't I don't know, invent new body parts that don't exist yet. Oh, but that might be fun. Come on, let's. You just said medically accurate <laughs> is your whole thing. Uh, I'm happy to get uh, a little wacky, but let's let's keep it maybe to a dull roar of of zaniness. <laughs> I agree. If that's possible. I I'm looking forward. I think we have uh, an exciting mix of different types of problems today. Uh, one of them, I think, has one of my favorite subject lines I've seen in a while. And it describes, frankly, one of my favorite types of complicated, difficult person. So I'm really, really looking forward to that one towards the end. Okay. I don't know if you had any favorites that popped up. I felt that whoever wrote in did a really nice job of being concise and sharing enough context and being creative. It was really fun to read these letters. Beautiful. All right. Well, then I will read our first letter and we'll just dive right in. So the subject here is sharing suspicions. I've been with my boyfriend for over a year, but had put off meeting the family because of COVID. I went to his younger brother's house for Thanksgiving. And though my boyfriend isn't especially close with his relatives, they were perfectly welcoming. But there was an incident. Since we live far away, we slept over after Thanksgiving dinner. When I woke up, I accidentally stepped on my glasses while looking for them. They had fallen off the nightstand in the night. My boyfriend woke up from the noise, and I started apologizing, admittedly kind of dramatically, since I couldn't see and I'm not really myself before I've had my coffee. This also woke up my boyfriend's brother, who knocked on the door and asked if we were okay. My boyfriend said we were fine and not to come in, but he opened the door anyway. He saw me on the floor, broken glasses in hand, and it suddenly looked as though he would cry. He angrily asked my boyfriend if he had, quote, done that, and I didn't know what he meant, so I said nothing. My boyfriend got angry with his brother, and they started shouting. And After that, when I tried to intervene, they couldn't hear me. Then my boyfriend's mother came into the room and led me into the kitchen. I was very confused and can't see without my glasses, so I, I just followed her. She asked me what had happened with my glasses, and while I was explaining, my boyfriend came downstairs with our bags and said we were leaving. It all happened so fast. My boyfriend told me later in the car that his brother had accused him of domestic violence and that he didn't want to stay in the house with someone who thought he would do that. Part of me understands my boyfriend's reaction, but another small part of me is a little suspicious that his brother's first thought had to do with domestic violence after seeing me with broken glasses. My boyfriend's never been violent, but I have been in abusive relationships before, and it seems concerning that his family might think this about him. Understandably, he is furious with his family and will not discuss it. Part of me wonders if violence is in his past, but I feel guilty assuming this because of others' reactions to him, especially because of my own history and therefore trust issues. 
is this a red flag or my paranoia? And do you have advice on how to start a conversation with him to understand more about his family's reaction? Big deep breath for me here. Yeah. This, would be, this was such a like, <laughs> not like a Frasier episode because that's the more like slightly lighthearted kind of farce, but definitely like elements of Frasier, elements of uh, like Velma from Scooby-Doo. Like there was something very um, theatrical stage farce about either a series of improbable misunderstandings or a series of like weird, difficult to follow reactions with possibly sinister undertones. Yes, that's a really good way to create a synopsis about this letter. I feel like it's almost like when I first read it, I imagined like a dog fight that happened and Mm. it just like came out of nowhere, got out of control. And then the only way to end it was like for the dogs to separate and go somewhere else. And I was just like, that's kind of what I see here is like the writer just got overtaken by whatever happened around them instead of being able to have any voice or any control or any power at all in what happened. And that's going to feel really yucky. That's going to feel really unfair and and just yucky. I don't know another word for that. Um, yeah, to have experienced yeah. that. No, this all sounded like just kind of the, in many ways, like a worst case scenario for meeting a new partner's family. Um, and that's not even kind of going into the question of whether or not the letter writer should be concerned right now about her boyfriend's histories so much as just like a bad series of chain events. So, you know, my first thought was this all sounded like a lot, but but plausible to me. Like I can definitely understand why, like if you woke up, suddenly you're looking for your glasses and then you've stepped on them, you might be a little dramatic and like kind of apologizing, but also kind of freaking out. And if you're like, boyfriend's brother barges in the room and then is like, did he do this? Just being like, wait a second. Like, where am I? What's happening? I don't know how to answer this question. I haven't, you know, not to be all like, don't ask me about domestic violence until I've had my coffee. But (laughs) like, I can really understand why if you've just woken up and then stepped on your glasses, you wouldn't even track like, wait, what is he asking me? So letter writer, obviously (laughs) this, this sounds like a, a rough morning. But I get why you didn't necessarily realize what was being asked of you until you were already halfway out the door. Right. I feel like the writer is in entirely freeze mode. That That's all you can do at this point. You're just frozen. Like, what happened? Oh, something right. else happened. Oh, what is happening now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, not that we're necessarily here to rank everybody's behavior, but I can also certainly understand why your boyfriend would have been really put off by saying like, yes, we're fine. Don't come in. And then his brother barging in. So I, I think too, that brings me to the question of the boyfriend's response, which is like, does his reaction to first his brother coming into the room and then later his brother's like accusation seem like a a red flag in any direction? I feel like could go either way on this one. Like I, I didn't see, I can understand somebody who's never heard a partner being incredibly like affronted and angry that some like a sibling would barge into their room and say, hey, did you just hate your girlfriend so hard she broke her glasses? Like, yeah, I, I can see why that would upset somebody who's never, you know, committed domestic violence. But I also don't want to say like, don't worry, I'm sure he was just overreacting wildly. So I guess really what I'm trying to say here is 
you have absolutely, I think, grounds to say to your boyfriend, we actually do need to talk to this about this again. I understand why you're like angry with your brother. And I get that that must have been really painful, but there's no version of like our relationship where we just never discuss that. We just like hang out with your family again sometime in the next year and like nobody brings it up. Like we do have to talk about it, even if you're angry and hurt. So, you know, you got to find a way to talk about it with me right now. I think is super, super reasonable. And again, even if he's really like hurt and the accusation was like totally baseless, came out of nowhere, he will need to be able to talk about it with you. I 100% agree. Moving away from whatever happened, I mean, really, this is a crazy story, but whatever happened, the basis for a healthy relationship is that anything that is human is mentionable. And anything that is mentionable is manageable. And that's a quote from Mr. Rogers. And the reality is here really? is that if you don't you have that on space his show? within... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just like, that feels like such a um, complicated sentiment to, to say on a TV show for kids. I mostly just remember him saying things like, let's put on a sweater. Did he say that on his show? Or was this like in an interview about just life no, more generally? No, in an interview. That makes so much more sense. Sorry for the interruption. I just had to know. Yeah. Um, it's one <laughs> of his like memorable quotes is anything that is human is mentionable. Anything that is mentionable is manageable. When we talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. The people we trust with that important talk can help us know that we are not alone. And the idea here is if you don't feel like you have a partnership to be able to trust that they can handle your feelings, then we may not be in a healthy relationship. It's important that we assess if the person that we're with can handle conversations about our needs, our wants, our desires in ways where they're not going to be triggered or violent or shut down. And if those things are happening, maybe it's time for us to go seek professional help with a therapist to move into those conversations with a mediator. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's really useful too, because it reminded me of something that I, I want to encourage the letter writer to bear in mind. You know, I, I think that so far your reaction makes a lot of sense that you mostly feel like, wow, that was just really weird. And then there's also a small part of you that's like, well, I haven't seen any signs of it, but I am curious now, like whether or not his brother just had a totally irrational kind of odd out of left field reaction or whether or not there's some history there that I don't know about. I also want to remind you, letter writer, you might find, like, as you try to have this conversation with your boyfriend, that the way he's handling it is just really off-putting. And, and again, that's not to say that anybody should, like, necessarily in the moment, day after Thanksgiving, kind of woken up from a dead sleep, gets accused of domestic violence, needs to be, like, really, like, oh, calm, collected, like, let me think about how this makes me feel, and then say something, like... Uh, you know, reasonable. But if you find that his reaction continues to be like unpleasant um, or shuts you out or is really just anything you don't like, you're also allowed to decide you don't want to keep dating him without necessarily saying like, this must have happened because he has hurt a girlfriend in the past. I guess just what I'm trying to say is like, it's possible both that he has not harmed any of his past partners and that he handles like an admittedly shitty situation in such a kind of like messy or um, defensive or shut down way that you're just like, I don't really trust that like if we have more difficult 
conversations or fights in the future that he's going to handle them great. So don't feel like it's either I need to prove he's not abusive and then we have to date forever or I prove he has hurt somebody and then I dump him. You also get to like assess how he handles conflict. Absolutely. I was thinking that this is all about the repair. Really, nothing matters about getting to the bottom line or finding out X, Y, Z. This is all about the repair of the feelings that have happened because of whatever the situation is. And so if he is 0% invested in the repair that you need because this was a really rough situation that you had to go through with him, that's a big red flag. Repair is really important. Yeah. And again, I can really understand why he felt like hurt and angry on his own behalf. Like that's an understandable response given what happened. But I don't love that unless there's something the letter writer has left out, it does not seem like the boyfriend has really acknowledged like this was probably pretty freaky for the letter writer. And so, I, you know, again, without saying like, obviously that means he's hurt girlfriends physically in the past. I just like, I don't love that he's not like, hey, I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. How are you doing? Or like, I'm really sorry that I just dragged you out the door. Like in the moment, I was just like, I needed to go. But, you know, if I had it to do over again, I would like maybe pause with you outside on the lawn or say like, we need to go take a walk or, or just done more to check in with you. Again, that doesn't, yeah, that can be, that can be true regardless of, of what else is going on between the two of them. But so you need to be able to talk to your boyfriend about it. And if he says, I can't, I'm too angry, that needs to be like, well, I hear you, but you need to find a way to talk about something that makes you angry because there's just, there's no way I can just pretend this didn't happen. Because either, either like you just ended your relationship with your brother, in which case that's going to affect our future holiday plans as a couple, or we're going to have to see these people again and talk to them again, which means there's going to have to be some sort of follow-up conversation and I'd like it to start between us. Yeah. So specifically, they're asking, how do I start this conversation? And one of the suggestions I have is to start by saying, I believe you care about blank. I believe that you care about my feelings. I believe that you care about my thoughts. I believe that you care about my needs and then move from there so that you're starting with like this positive start. I, I believe that you are a trustworthy person and I believe that you are someone that I enjoy spending time with. Like start with this positivity at the beginning. So then his, his defenses are not up. He's ready and open for the conversation. And then you can move into it was really hard for me to experience what happened the day after Thanksgiving. I bet it was really hard for you too. What were some of the things that you experienced, like some of the feelings you experienced and like coach him through going back to that moment and saying the feelings and then you can share the feelings you were experiencing. And if at that point he won't engage at all, then you have to choose how you're going to share a boundary, which is a boundary is something that you do for yourself in any given situation. A boundary is not something someone else has to do. So you could say something like, um, well, if you're not willing to have a conversation and process what happened during that day, I'm going to have to make some decisions about what we're going to do about this relationship. Because for me, I need open and honest communication. I need safety to say my feelings. I need the ability to process hard situations with my partner. And so if you're 
going to say that we will not ever speak of this again. I am going to have to make a decision about what to do for myself moving forward with this relationship. So first start with open, positive, we're on the same team. I have positive beliefs and feels about you. Then if there is pushback about not being willing to discuss, state your boundary. Yeah, I, I think that's a useful way of framing it too because I I hope this is not the case, letter writer, but if he frames like you're saying, I want to talk about what happened as tantamount to saying, I believe you must have committed domestic violence in the past, that to me would be a red flag. Wanting to talk about something distressing that happened to you does not rest upon like making a, a call one way or the other about whether his brother's like, question or outburst had any basis in reality. And if he tries to conflate the two, again, I would just say red flag. Um, and at that point, I would I would encourage you to start talking to your friends about this. I would encourage you to consider ending the relationship. I hope that's not his response, but um, that, that would be something to really look out for. And, and I also think too, you can just ask him like, hey, what happened in that conversation with your brother? Because that's, again, that's not the same thing as like, prove to me that you've never committed domestic violence or like you stand guilty until I've like assessed the situation. It's just literally something big happened in that room while I was talking to your mom and I'd like to know what it was. And so I don't want to give too much advice about like potential follow-ups because so much is going to depend on how he reacts to these things. But I do also just want to leave the door open, letter writer. If you continue to feel curious and you have a conversation with him where you feel like you have more questions than you started with, or if he refuses to talk to you and you want more information before you make a decision, uh, I want you to feel free to consider contacting his brother or his mother. You might not want to do that. I get why that might feel weird to you, but I, I just don't want you to feel like if you do decide to talk to them again, that you would be doing something you're not allowed to do. I, I mean, I wouldn't want you to say like to keep it like a secret from him, but if he's not giving you anything, I, I think it would be totally understandable if you just wanted to like get in touch and say like, hey, I'm sorry for how everything, like not sorry, like taking personal responsibility, but just as an acknowledgement of how chaotic and upsetting it got. Just like, I'm really sorry about what happened at Thanksgiving. Um, I was a little confused by the question of domestic violence um, can you guys tell me a little bit more about what you were thinking or what you experienced? You, you've got every, I, I, that wasn't exactly a question here, but like you don't need his permission to do it. You don't have to do it with him. Um, if you want to talk to them on your own, y you had that experience. You have every right to talk about it with them. I think that what you just shared was fantastic. And one thing I want to add is that being responsible for our safety and the um, one life that we have doesn't mean that we are paranoid. And it's really important that those two things are different. Um, if you are going to state as a boundary that if your boyfriend won't speak to you about what happened, then you will contact his family to get more information so that you can assess your own safety. That is not paranoia. That is being responsible for your life and your body. And that's the pinnacle of consent, right? You have to be informed in order to make a choice about how and with whom you're going to share space and time with your body. Yeah. And, you know, so much of this is just, I, I want to leave a lot of room for the real possibility that what his brother did when he came into the room and asked that question was not based in like reality. And yet, if your boyfriend's reaction to this is like really defensive and stonewalling and we don't have to talk about this, that is itself a bad thing. 
that does not necessarily mean he like has physically abused someone in the past and like didn't disclose it. It just could mean that his inability to deal with like uncomfortable conflict is is not good. And again, I say that knowing there are probably very few people who would handle it beautifully if they were woken up by a sibling running into the room and saying, did you just hit your partner? Um, I, I, I don't at all mean to like hold him to an impossible standard. It's just that you've got to be able to talk about the things that make you angry, especially with your family, if you're going to have any kind of a relationship with them. And especially if you're trying to bring someone new into your sort of um, family circle. So I guess all of this is just a way of trying to remind the letter writer that wanting to talk about this is not the same thing as putting your boyfriend on trial. And I really don't want him to react as if that's what you're trying to do. So, you know, wanting to talk about this, being curious about this does not mean you're like paranoid or not giving him the benefit of the doubt. This is the benefit of the doubt, right? Saying let's have a conversation is giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Um, Not giving him the benefit of the doubt would just be saying, hey, lose my number. I assume that you're brother told me something that was like directly relevant to my own safely and like based in reality that would be failing to give him benefit of the doubt i think so it doesn't seem like you're in any danger of doing that here are we ready for letter number two I think so. Would you read it for us? Yes. The subject line says, tired of being overlooked. My husband and I are gay, largely accepted by our families, and have lived roughly six hours away from my in-laws for almost a decade now. I'm so tired of them. Whenever we're together, all they talk about are our nieces and nephews. We visit for every major holiday and no one asks us anything. We've done a regular family Zoom since COVID started, and no one asks us anything there either. The only questions people muster up for us are, when are you going to have kids? Or when are you moving back? What they don't realize is that we don't want to move back, and we'd love to adopt. There are a lot of queer and trans and non-binary kids who need a home in our state, but that doesn't seem good enough for them. Trying to talk to them about this leads to defensiveness and displacement, as if it's our fault. To make matters worse, our nephews and nieces are very badly behaved. Even suggesting they don't do something, like terrorize our dogs, leads to screaming at us. I keep advocating we don't visit for a while to get the point across. My husband says it would crush his parents. But they don't listen to us. And I'm tired of seeing my husband hurt by how isolating our visits feel. How else can I talk to my husband about this or or my in-laws? I mean, this is one of those letters where I feel like real warmth towards the letter writer. And I just really want to encourage you to say something like, I'm fine with crushing them. Like, that's not a problem for me. Um, It sounds like that's been a sort of effective line for him the last few years. Like, they would just be crushed. They wouldn't be able to handle it. and. Not that I want to encourage anyone to become like round the clock dismissive of their partner's feelings. I just think this, to me, this feels totally like, even if it's sincerely meant on his end, it's part of what seems like a pretty uh, family-wide pattern of emotional manipulation. And I think it's just best met with a kind of cheerful indifference. Like, oh, that's fine. I don't mind crushing your parents. I was also thinking that potentially a... um like a comeback to that one-liner is maybe you've outgrown these people and just see what happens with your husband. 
Like, what's his reaction to that? That maybe he has outgrown his family. And if he's dismissive of it, then that might tell you something. If he's curious about what you mean, then you might be able to expound and say more about the ways that your relationship doesn't seem to fit with his biological families. And you might just be able to work from this idea of it being okay to outgrow people and that being your stance um, instead of it being this negative thing where it's like, oh, but they would be crushed and there's all these expectations and this is how it's always been done. Well, maybe you've outgrown that and maybe you've grown into something else and maybe we need to redefine what that something else is going to look like for us. Right. And there's there's so much, like, even just, like, preempted anxiety on your husband's part, letter writer, of what is essentially just, like, hey, for, like, years and years, we visited them for every major holiday. I would like to do something else for some of the major holidays. Like, that's an incredibly relaxed, gentle suggestion. That's not, like, I want to have them killed by hitmen. Um, that's not like I want to send them a notarized letter denouncing them. Like, it's just, I want to do something else for 4th of July every once in a while. And so I I think if you frame it too, as your with your husband is like, Hey, so our strategy up until now is every major holiday with them. I think that's pretty accommodating. I, we need to do some shared custody of the holiday calendar and I love you. And I'm willing to like work with you on this one. But I need to let you know that like for my own well-being, I need to make plans for a different Christmas next year. I really hope that you'll join me. I would love to spend Christmas together. But also Christmas comes every fucking year. So, you know, if you just cannot bring yourself to skip it, I'll skip it next year. I think that's also helpful too. And certainly there are ways that people can read that as like manipulative in its own. But I I think that's also just kind of like a nice way for you to remind yourself that like you guys are an individual. Right. And like, you don't have to do every holiday in lockstep with your partner and your relatives. Like, and just like Christmas comes every year. I I, I wish that's like often the thing that I kind of try to come back to, especially when people are threatened with the specter of ruining the holidays. Like the holidays are abundant and constantly renewing themselves. Um, I realize we all get like a limited number of holidays throughout our lives because life itself is limited, but like there's always more holidays coming up. Uh, There's like a weird scarcity mindset about this thing that happens constantly and with total regularity and again and again and again. So it's just like, we're not going to run out of Thanksgivings. We're not going to run out of birthdays. We're not going to run out of Christmas. So yeah, you know, the one thing that I would encourage you letter writer not to do is say, I want to visit less to get the point across, which makes it feel a little bit like I want to punish them by not visiting or I want to try to like teach them to behave differently by not visiting until they give me what I want. And I think just reframe it instead as like, I don't want to spend every fucking holiday of my life with these people. Totally reasonable. One of the sort of like classic, you know, sites of disagreement among married couples. Like this, there's a there's a long storied tradition of negotiating with your partner about how much time you spend with your in-laws. And that's just really, really reasonable. And, um, you know, you should be able to come up with a compromise that neither of you quite loves, but um, absolutely. And good Lord, if you just are like, I'm so done, I never want to see them again, say that, like, let them know I'm done. I'd also like to share the suggestion to enter this conversation with um, a lens of creative and collaborative problem solving. So potentially don't come in with your own plan. Mm. potentially come in open-minded with like your feelings at the forefront, but not your 
plan for what's going to happen. And instead, in that place of like collaboration, say, like, these are my feelings, and I'd like to know your feelings, and I'd like us to create a plan together. I don't have an agenda. I don't have an outcome that I'm looking for. And from this place of, like, mutual curiosity, mutual creativity, we could create this thing together. So then it's less of, like, a, a fighting me against you, and it's mm-hmm. more of, like, a creating us together. Yeah, and then I think some of the other things the letter writer brings up earlier uh, to me, they're sort of a lower order of importance, but just really quickly to address some of them, you know, letter writer, you say that like the nephews and nieces are not well behaved with your dog. So if it's at all possible, you know, don't bring the dog. Uh, I, I realize that that's not free, but you know, if you're planning ahead for future trips, maybe hire a dog sitter because I don't know that your dog is loving the six-hour journey plus like getting chased around the house by a bunch of kids who are still like learning personal space. Um, So that feels like an easy fix to me. Like leave the dog at home. And like if you can afford to make the trip, my guess is you can also given enough time budget a dog sitter in. I'm not suggesting that like that's going to be easy or automatic. It just, it strikes me as like the most straightforward fix, I guess. And honestly, that suggestion helps you have a little bit of fuel for this conversation. Because if you were to say, we need to budget for a dog sitter every time we visit them, that's going to reduce the number of times you could visit. Yeah. Or it just like gives you a little bit more free time when you are there um, to kind of figure out how you want to negotiate dealing with these people. My thought with some of the other stuff, like all they talk about are their nieces and nephews, like it doesn't sound like you want to have like much of a relationship with them. You want to like kind of do the bare minimum when you do have to see them. So I I get that it's like frustrating to see their sort of lack of curiosity about your life. So front and center, but I think that's also kind of a gift. Like I don't know that you necessarily want them asking you a bunch of like deep and intimate personal questions. So I I would just say like join in the kind of general conversation. If there's something you would really like to talk about or like, I don't know, a movie you want to discuss or like an exciting thing that happened at work that's important to you or like a book you feel strongly about, bring it up. You know, don't wait for somebody to ask you. Just like go ahead and introduce occasional new topics into the conversation. And if nobody bites uh, and joins you in that part of the conversation, you know, I would say at that point, like choose your battles and choose where to expend your energy. Um, And you really want to have the majority of your battles about how often you see them, not about how many questions they ask you when you do see them. And so then, like, if they ask you when are you going to have kids, I think just go ahead and say something like, I don't know, we'd like to adopt. Or when are you moving back? Oh, we're not. You know, like, that's just answer those questions, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, that to me feels like way lower down on the list. Yeah, here's also a tip for dealing with nieces and nephews that are badly behaved. Uh, One thing that people often don't say strong enough to a child when they're, like, out of control is what you will and won't accept. And so say a child is uh, running around the room and bangs into you, you can say to them, I won't let you run into me. So I'm going to move out. You could, you could like say, I won't let you. That just sounds so, I'm just imagining like a little six-year-old running around then an adult saying like, I won't let you run into me. Like that's so intense. Right, exactly. But that's one of the ways that you can get a child's attention and get the adult's attention I won't let you like spit in my face. I won't let you hit me. Ah, 
I won't yeah. let you, whatever the thing is. But if you say it in this very like matter of fact uh, and powerful way, I won't let you hit another kid. I'm going to have you sit with me for a minute. I won't let you, you know, throw your shoes around the room, like whatever it is they're doing. And then you physically pick up their shoes and hold their shoes. Um, if you say, I won't let you X, that is a very clear and powerful way of making a statement about what you will or won't accept for behavior around you. And as long as you can follow through with whatever thing it is that you've said by holding the shoes or by having the child come and sit with you for a moment or whatever it is the thing, as long as you can follow through with it kindly and consistently, you can actually model to the other adults in the room what kind of behavior you accept around you. I was just really curious about like roughly how old the kids were. Me too. Um, because my my first thought was like, they're badly behaved. They terrorize the dog. And I was just like, are these kids like two and three, four and five where they might just not be old enough unless they're like living with the dog at home? Like they just don't know better yet. Like you can obviously like remind and reinforce stuff with kids of that age, but there's just a limit to how much a two-year-old is going to understand about what a dog needs versus like seven, eight, nine, ten, where you can expect a little bit more. So I guess that just felt to me a little bit like it's so unclear to me how old the kids are that I didn't know how to make a ruling on like, are they really unruly and you guys are getting like inappropriate pushback when you try to set a reasonable boundary? Or maybe are they just like behaving in fairly age-appropriate ways and you just are being a little rigid because you're already understandably pretty stressed out. I didn't feel like I could make a call one way or the other. So I would just say like letter writer, my advice there would kind of depend on the age of the kids. Um, if they're on the younger side, then I think maybe take your own impatience with them as an indicator of how much you need to like take some space away from the adults there. Um, and if they're a little bit older, I think go with more of the like, hey, I'm not going to let you do that. Or like, don't throw things at me. Um, but yeah, again, like if you're like, but even if I say that, I know then five adults are going to start yelling at me. That brings us back to the original point, which is just, you got to limit how much time you spend around these people. And if your husband's response to that is, no, they'll die, you know, come back with a chipper. No, they won't. They'll live. No one's ever died because their kids spent one Christmas out of 39 of them away. That's never killed a single person. You need to get over that. And then, you know, do something nice and loving so that your partner doesn't feel totally chastened. But yeah, you, you don't have to join somebody on the cross when they climb up there. I was just having a conversation with a couple of friends of mine, trying to encourage one of them to write a murder mystery because we were all talking about the phenomenon of tea modeling and Neiman Marcus restaurants. It was a, it was a wide-ranging conversation. Okay. And the long and short of it was I was trying to convince my my friend Helen to write a murder mystery set among tea models. <laughs> it is relevant because it's like I associate it with the holidays. Are you familiar with either Neiman Marcus restaurants or with tea modeling? A little bit of both, yes. I had had no idea until I was like 17. And my, my mom took me and my sister to like a Christmas lunch at Neiman Marcus restaurant. Um, and tea modeling, for anyone listening who doesn't know, is like at fancy, old-timey kind of restaurants, uh, women walk around modeling the clothes that are for sale and they'll like <laughs> stop in front of your table and like show you what they're wearing. And I had never heard of this in my life. And I like, <laughs> leaned over to my mother and I was like, mom, that woman is so stuck up. She's just like going from table to table showing <laughs> off her jacket. 
Like I was so mortified. I was like, I can't believe this bitch. And my mom was like, oh, that's tea modeling. You fucking nobody. Um, <laughs> she did not say it like that. I don't like my mother, but she was perfectly polite. Um, but that was how I found out what tea modeling was. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know it existed. And I really, really believe this woman just was like interrupting a bunch of people's lunches to show off her new clothes. <laughs> I wanted to be a model when I was um, in high school, but I was too short. So I know a little bit about it. Well, you could have maybe T-modeled. I feel like maybe Maybe. height's not so important there because you need to be like, I don't know, visible over the table, but that's about it. And not towering over people as much. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think I ever had like modeling aspirations just because that didn't seem especially like within my grasp. But I definitely like... I, I remember slam books were a big thing when I was in junior high and high school. And whenever it was like asking you to like list your interests, because a big part of it would just be like, you know, like, what are your favorite colors? Who do you think is the most popular girl in school? Who do you think is the most popular boy? What are your favorite hobbies? I would always list kickboxing, despite like never having kickboxed in my life. Huh. Um, and like, for some reason, I just had this vision of myself. It's like, maybe I'm going to get really into kickboxing soon. And I'm just going to be like this cool kickboxer. Which is your favorite move? I've never done it. I've still never done it. Okay. This was totally a lie. Oh, or wow. not even a lie because I didn't think of it as lying at the time. I, I would write it down and I would I think I would think like, now it's going to happen. Like I, I, I'm interested in kickboxing, which is the first step on the road to kickboxing, surely. So it's imminent. It's about to happen. I'm basically just stating something that will be true very, very soon, uh, any day now. And then <laughs> I just continued to not kickbox. And now here I am at 36. I love kickboxing for exercise and the uppercut is my favorite where move. do you go it do it where, feels does, where does the it happen? Do you go to a boxing gym yeah they have a like a group class and is it is it like a sport I, and now that i said that i realize i know nothing about kickboxing or at least no more than i did in eighth grade it's a cardio it, class so it's not like a sport no i mean not the way i do it you do it by yourself you never hit a person there's not like the world kickboxing champions probably there something. is it's but it's not like ultimate fighting or whatever. I don't know anything about it except that it gets my heart rate up. All right, well. <laughs> That's if it. If anybody listening knows anything about kickboxing, I've just opened up the Wikipedia page and the first sentence is kickboxing is a combat sport focused on kicking and punching, which, you know, I did already know. So I, I've learned nothing still. <laughs> So if you have a minute, I have a quick um, update to, to read, not from a letter writer themselves, but from somebody who read another letter. Okay. So this is from a reader about the Carmen Rita Wong episode from 12.6, uh, the first letter, which was about somebody whose brother was kind of spiraling into delusions. Hey, Danny, I am a mental health provider in New York City. I'm writing, as was specifically asked, in the case of the letter writer whose brother is delusional. I think this is probably a good case for a mobile crisis team. They're an alternative to the police program that provides urgent mental health services to folks at home and connections to larger social services if needed. They're usually pretty skilled at speaking to people who are dealing with mental illness and helping them and their families get connected to care they need. Many cities have these now, but I recommend as needed providing this information as a more general resource to listeners. Um, thank you so much. And I actually double check because I remember that letter writer was from Seattle and it does look like they have uh, an organization like this in Seattle. It can be found on the DESC website and DESC stands for Downtown Emergency Service Center. Um, again, this is in Seattle, Washington. So the website is desc.org um, and it's the mobile crisis team. 
Um, and it just says here uh, that DESC's mobile crisis team provides in-person response to anyone experiencing a behavioral health crisis anywhere in King County. Uh, when an individual is experiencing a behavioral health crisis, including mental health and or substance use crisis, first responders can call on the mobile crisis team, 43 mental health professionals, substance use disorder professionals, and peer professionals, or peer providers, rather. Peer professionals, that would just make it sound like you are an expert in being someone's peer. Um, once the team receives a referral, they pair up, travel to the individual, provide for the client's immediate needs, help devise a solution. They might assist the person getting into a safe and supportive space, provide them with resources for shelter, meals, or medical services, connect them with a mental health provider, supply donated clothing, refer them to services, or possibly arrange transportation to the crisis solution center or another service provider. So nowhere in there does it say we would call the cops or take this person to jail. So I think that's potentially a really useful resource for that letter writer. Hopefully they are listening. And if not, maybe somebody else uh, in a similar situation is and can take advantage of it. Thank you so much. Um, other letter writer for for offering the suggestion. I really appreciate it. And so I think with that, Ashley, we've solved everyone's problems for the day. Thank you so much. I enjoyed this challenge. Thank you. Oh, I, I enjoyed it immensely. Thank you for uh, allowing me to apologize for yelling at you uh, and then for discussing uh, Christian praise music history, which you will be coming back to talk about with me again in the future. <laughs> we'll see how many lyrics I can remember. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with the guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. If they're really supportive in other areas, my guess is it's more along the lines of like some homemade cookies than like I found some trash in my house that I need to get rid of and I gave that to you. Because that does, that is a thing. It's not super common, but there are people who will definitely like just give someone what is obviously garbage from their home that they're trying to get rid of. And that I think that's you know. unkind. I mean, that's the reality of that. Is is unkind. Yeah, that's one of those things where it's just like I would so much rather you get me nothing. Mm-hmm. I also feel like maybe just having a conversation with this friend about love languages, maybe taking an online test and seeing where no, you. No, 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 no. Sorry, okay. I hate love languages. They were created by an evil evangelical guy, and like they're used in such messed up ways. Oh, this is good. I'm glad I don't get to fight often with my guests. I'm going to stop interrupting you. You make your case for love languages, and I've already registered that I hate them. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.